This is your short, fat friend, Brigham Kindell, and you're listening to the Work For It podcast. <laughs> oh, come on. You can't do that to yourself, short, fat friend. Come on, Brigham. Oh, that's me, man. I'm short, fat, and happy. How are you today? Hey, I'm also short, fat, and happy. I'm, I'm living life, man. I'm, I'm doing really well. Brigham Kindell, you are on the Work For It podcast. You have been one of the guys that I've been wanting to get on for a long time, so thank you so much for sitting down with me. How oh, you, it's, a, it's my pleasure. Well, like I said, short, fat, and happy. It's a, it's uh, kind of like my motto. I think I've been saying that for about twenty years now because I'm short. I know I, we we got to talk a little bit yesterday, and, I, and you're a little bit taller than me. I'm five six, so I'm very short. You brought um, it up. I feel like we have to bring up what happened yesterday because we we had a first pot like we're trying to do this podcast, and then we had an issue with cast, and we had to scrap the whole thing. It's sad that it happened because it was a great conversation, but let's just jump right into that mentality. I, I'm not. I'm not sad that it happened. I, I like. I like having conversations with you, so it's good. It's good. Yeah, I'm man. happy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm five six, um, and I am a little on the pudgy side, so short, fat, and happy. Um, yeah, good way that's to live. Me. That's me. It's a good way to live. It's a good way to be. I'd like to be a little taller, but, you know, my wife still loves me, so that's all that matters. That's all that really matters. And the knife-making community loves you because you are the absolute glue that holds the community together. I always appreciate whenever anybody needs help, Brigham Kendall is there to give you props, give you likes, boost you up a little bit. It's just you, you are one of those guys that are always Johnny on the spot ready to support somebody. Well, I mean, I try just because – you know, I, I enjoy this stuff and I like this community. And I, I think one thing that you always hear about the community is everybody's helpful and friendly. And uh, I mean, every once in a while you'll get a D bag that's not, but for the most part, everybody's a good person and they're trying to help everybody out. And I just want to be that guy. And I don't have all the money in the world that I can go buy everybody's knives or, or sub to everybody or, um, you know, I, I try to support where I can. Like I do some raffles here and there, um, but I share them, right? And I, I hope I can help people by doing that and by being present and commenting and liking and all those things. Yeah, I mean, we just appreciate you for it, man. So let's let's go ahead and talk about you for a little bit because I want to learn more about Brigham Kendall. First off, where can people find you? Um, I believe my Instagram is at Brigham Kendall. Nice um, and easy. I, yeah, I'm on. I'm on. Um, there's this thing called Twitter. I don't know if you kids use it anymore. Um, <laughs> See, here's the thing. But, so, Twitter got popular right when I didn't give a shit about social media anymore. So I never was on Twitter. You know, it's funny. Well, because I I used to be in the gaming community a lot, and um, and I'm like video games, right? Oh yeah. And for them, Twitter was like the big thing. And when Instagram came along, I was like, oh, this isn't going to last. Who, who wants who wants postcards from people? I, I thought that's what it was, like sending postcards <laughs> back and forth. So, but anyways, over there, I'm smiting BK. My, uh, my gamer tag, tag was smiting fatty. Um, so that's why I think uh, Brian's brought that up because, yeah. Anyways, I got, I got a lot of things about being fat because I've embraced it. Um, I have lost a lot of weight, by the way, but... Hey, well, um, you know, it is what it is. It is what yeah. it is. But, man, so so you were really big into the video game community. I was. I used to be what's called a shoutcaster for what, Call of Duty off, tournaments. What in the world is a shoutcaster? 
So, I mean, you watch football, right? You watch the Lions games. Um, you, 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 <laughs> I mean, got... do, we, do you want to get me into a depressive state talking about the Lions? or? <laughs> well, I mean, it, they kind of play football. But anyways, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but so you got like your two commentators. So that's what I would do. So I'd watch watch tournaments online or watch it in person and basically do the play-by-play for video games. And so you had to know the strategy, what different roles that people did. It, it was a lot of fun. Um, it, it was a good hobby. But, you know, once you start having a family and, and, and doing stuff like that, it's, I don't know, it, it's one of those things that it's a hobby that kind of costs more money than you get back. And uh, I mean, unless you're really good at it. Like one of my friends, his name's Alex Mendez. He was one of the broadcaster people for titan games the rocks show okay that he had like the game show where where you had to like run a course you know kind of like those obstacle oh. ninja warrior games that the rock put on so he's one of the commentators over there he's i've uh done a lot of gaming tournaments with him or a few at least and uh so he's kind of made it to what i would consider the big time but so here's um, my question were any of these where you are the commentator still on like a YouTube somewhere where we can dig it out? Probably. Um, so one of the companies I did it for was called UMG. Um, so I did UMG Philadelphia support like live. Um, I did a couple of the major league gaming tournaments in Anaheim. Um, so they're out there, but you could, I don't know if I have any on my YouTube. You can search up Brigham Kindell on my YouTube, and I might have something, <laughs> something on. I, I got, yeah. I need to get back into YouTube. I, uh, I kind of stopped because I don't have a reliable editing program. Really? So yeah. So, I mean, it's just like one of those things that I don't know. It's like I want to invest money into it, but again, I don't because those editing programs are kind of expensive. See, at least here's... what I'd have to do. Here's my thought process on it. So, you know, with Apple products, you can get iMovie, and you can make it happen with iMovie, but it never really looks professional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, in my situation, we're, we'll talk about you. Like, I, I I try to keep these things all about, you know, the guest, and you know, let's talk about Brigham all the way through, but, you know, I, I've got to spout off a little bit. So, no, you know, I have, I have Kyle do my videography for you know, all of my really well done knives and all of the really well done videos. And he, I forget exactly what he uses, something pro, I don't know. He's he's crazy with it. But I feel like if you're just making it for you or people around you, iMovie's totally good enough and like you can make it happen with it. And like, yes, again, it's not gonna look super professional, but it it's, it's better than nothing. That's true, that's true. Um... My problem is I don't have, like, I have an iPhone. Okay. And I don't have, like, a Mac. You know what I mean? Oh. Or, like the, like, the PC. So I have, like, some sort of gaming computer sitting here next to me. Okay. Um, like, just a regular PC laptop. I would be interested to watch what Brigham Kindell would put out on YouTube. There's a couple things. I've done, so my problem is I, I have lots of interests. Um, you know, gaming being one of them. Um, I love hunting. One of my favorite pastimes is going coyote hunting. And I'll tell you what, I am the world's worst coyote hunter. I still haven't shot one. Um, oh, geez. But, <laughs> but so, so my boy and I started a, you know, started doing YouTube 
for it and we called it wannabe predator hunters and so we have a couple of videos out there on that um but heavy on the wannabe on that one it's wannabe like... yep heavy on the wannabe <laughs> well my kids shot a coyote okay. so i just haven't yet but you know it'll come one of these days hey man it'll it'll happen for sure so you know it seems like you have a lot of varying like there's a lot of things in your life that you're splitting your time between between you know hunting and spending family time you've got knife making on the side you've got a full-time business which i mean lifting concrete that is a whole thing in itself um so i know that you have a full-time job how how is your work-life balance between lifting concrete and making knives um i mean so i make knives at night usually um so i'll get home so i have two jobs right i i work for a company that does um that does utility bills for cities right so it's actually an accounting program i have a master's degree in business and um, started working at this company and in the meantime i started this concrete lifting business and so i left this company after a little while started my business did it full time um, and that's about when I found you guys, right? Where Brian was, uh, you know, he was on uh, Jeff's podcast because I started li listening to Knife Talk and then I started listening to Full Blast and then I found you guys. And it was right when I was starting my business and it was awesome because there was like one day that I was, I was struggling so hard. And this is actually kind of a funny story. I was struggling really hard. And I, like, when I lift concrete, I listen to podcasts just because I can, and I have to have kind of some hearing, hearing protection. Gotcha. And so um, I'm just listening to podcasts, and Brian is talking about um, how he wanted to, like, he was just having, like, struggling with something. I can't remember. It was before you started um, with the podcast, but he was struggling, and you know what? You just got to work for it and make it happen. Some, you know, something to that effect. And yeah. I, I, you know, my, I think my machine had broken down and I was frustrated and I'm like, Oh, I got to start it. And so anyways, I, I, I got through it that day and that helped me out. Um, and then I was like, Oh, I got to tell him. Thank you. Well, I got Jeff and Brian mixed up because this oh, is no. like, I'm like brand new. Into it. I send, I, I send Jeff a message. I'm like, Jeff, I, I really appreciate your, your, your comment. It helped me get through my day. I'm glad you have rough days too. He's like, it's not me. <laughs> and I'm like, I love how blunt what do you, Jeff is. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, you said that in the podcast there, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just something like that. And I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, sorry, it was Brian House. And he's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he was pretty. Up. I don't know if he was upset. He's kind of a funny guy, but um, see, anyways. When with Jeff, I know that a lot of times it's all like it's it's a different type of if it's it's a New York City type of humor. It's not like he's pissed at you or anything. He's just, yeah, you know, well, ah, some, get out of here type stuff. I think I could rub him the wrong way sometimes, but I don't know. But anyways, he, he uh I I enjoy, I enjoy listening to him. But oh, yeah. anyway, so Brian like totally helped me out. So anyways, I I I did my concrete lifting full time last year. And then in the winter, I can't lift because once the ground freezes, I just break concrete, right? So um, so I went back to this other company. It's like, hey, I'll just answer the phone. And so after a couple of weeks, they're like, you're not leaving. 
And, and I was like, wait, well, wait, what, what do you mean? <laughs> and so they gave me an offer I couldn't refuse to stay. So now I work for them four days a week and I do 32 hours a week for them. And then I work for myself Friday and Saturday and usually put in um, between 10 and 15 hours a day there. Um, so it's almost... It's, oh, hold on. We're, we're, we're racing past a lot of different things. We need to talk oh. about <laughs> lifting concrete and all the fun things that you have to do with that. Okay. We've got to talk about so so let's let's just start from the beginning. Like lifting concrete, you know, there's there's imagine there's a lot of crazy math and a lot of crazy things that happen with lifting concrete because, you know, I am with with concrete, you can see what's on the outside, you can kind of see what the soil makeup is. But like how in the world do you know when you go to push down whatever foam or whatever it is you you put down there to lift it up? Like, how do you know there's not a void in the middle? Or how do you know that there's not, like, a, you know, crazy thing that's going to make it a lot more difficult? Well, that's the beauty of it is you don't. I mean, there's some things you can do. Like, I'll usually stomp around on the concrete. And I know that sounds kind of archaic, but you can actually hear the difference between a solid piece and a not solid piece, right? Almost sounds like a watermelon. Or, like, if you hit your belly, you know, it'll oh. sound hollow, you know? So I can kind of tell. But the thing is... You can't really tell how empty it is, right? So it could be mm. two inches, or I've had one that was four feet deep. What? Like, yeah, it was right next to a window well. And so we didn't realize it was four feet deep until my kid got into the window well and there was like a hole in the side of the, you know, the window well cover thing. Not the cover, but the siding. And he could see down in there and stuck a tape measure in. And it was like oh. a three foot wide by four foot deep hole. Hold on, hold on. So if I'm imagining this correctly, you've got this thin shell of concrete on top of a four foot drop. Mm -hmm. So like if you if you put something on there, like maybe a car would be able to, like the concrete would hold up a car or whatever. If like, for instance, if you got any sort of heavy machinery up there and that concrete cracks, I mean, that's gonna oh, it would have fallen. That might, yeah, that might it, it would have fallen in. Oh my but, god! But luckily, it, it was like a back porch, so no, oh, nothing's okay. driving on it. Just people are walking <laughs> on it. Yeah, but I mean, still, they, yeah, still. I'm, and so things like that happen. And so, you know, that's kind of part of the bidding process. Is I just kind of have to guesstimate. Um, as far as hard math, I have an app that does everything. So I measure, measure all the variables that I can, and then it spits out how many pounds of foam I'm gonna. You know, end up using, but everything's an estimate. So if I end up going over, I just say, "Hey, look, you got to pay for it," and it's a discounted rate. And that's something I let everybody know. Yep. Interesting. So when you go into it, you can kind of figure out, okay, there's the concrete is this this footage by this footage, and we need to raise it by two feet on this side, and that's gonna give you so many pounds of foam, which lifts it so far you know whatever yep. but you you go into it already having bid a certain price and then you will have to you know Adjust either it. break break the bad news like hey sorry we went over and you're gonna have to pay for it or you know do you do you ever like say that you're going to use more so that you end up being the good guy at at a lower price yes yeah so that's part of it is uh um, I mean, I try to bid everything as accurately as possible, but if I know there's a void, like let's say I'm stomping on concrete and it sounds like a watermelon, I'd be like, look, you know, I don't know how deep this is. And so I'm going to guess it at, 
you know, 10 inches instead of five inches. And then it, they, I won't charge them. Like if I only use five inches or five pounds worth of foam, whatever it is, then I only charge them that. Like, I'm not going to charge them the full bid if I, right. you know, so, so I tell them that I, I try to be as open as possible. Cause I, I have come back where it's like, Hey, I, uh, I went 30 pounds over and Ooh. you know, that's like 600 bucks, you know? Yeah, and um, at that point, you know, it's not like you're going to put in just what you what you bid and have it not do the job. You have to put in all the rest of the way, and yeah. they don't really have a choice. Like, how how does that conversation go? Um, I mean, it just usually when I get close, I'll let them know. I'm like, hey, you know, I, I've come up this far, but it's taking a lot more foam, foam than I thought you know, or than we estimated. So that usually means it was either emptier or that soil just still isn't compact. Um, you know, so you just kind of play with it. But t to be honest, I'm pretty accurate. Like I hardly ever go over. Um, it, I, have, I, should, I hardly ever go over where I didn't plan on going over, if that makes sense. Like I, gotcha. I give myself a buffer zone. So. Gotcha. The soil not being like com compacted underneath is a variable I didn't think about. Like the fact that this foam is having to press the pressure and the weight of the concrete yep. up, you're gonna have an equal, equal and opposite of reaction down. You know, pushing into the soil. Exactly. And so that's the best thing. That's why I like using foam, because it does help settle things. And and a lot of the work I'm doing is on newer homes, and we're talking homes that are less than three to five years old and right. i'm i'm lifting stairs you know three or four inches when Jeez. i don't think they, they should have been moved or even further than that like i'm i'm there's a house just down the road from me that was built this last year and it the sidewalk already needs to come up seven inches and it has an eight inch void underneath the back porch and See, that is something that, like, when the pandemic hit, it seems like all of the construction went to absolute shit and bottom bottom dollar everything. Well, yeah, yeah, it's true. And I, I actually, you know, I started my business kind of at a good time because, um, or I went full time at a good, good time because it was right kind of after the first couple uh, months at the... Uh, of the pandemic and um everybody was home watching their you know watching their concrete do things or be, being like oh i didn't realize i had this crack i want it filled you know all that kind of fun stuff oh that's true you know idle idle hands make you know if people are sitting in their house and they don't realize that this that and the other because they're busy and all of a sudden oh wow this this thing needs to be fixed why don't we go ahead and get that done and then also all of that construction that was done, you know, kind of shady that was done for bottom dollar and then sold at crazy high prices because that's what the market was. Here yeah. in a couple of years, all of those things, all of those little problems, all of those stairs that are sunk down because, yep. you know, steps weren't taken that should have been taken. Man, that's going to be a, a business boom for you. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be good. Um, and, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm lifting homes or you know slabs in in houses and in driveways where they're still framing too oh so wow it's, yeah wow. it's, it's kind of crazy but utah's kind of special that way where and maybe it's like that in michigan too but you know there's just a lot of different soil types and 
if they build anything in the winter, I can almost expect to to be lifting something that next spring. Oh no. yeah, that only makes sense for sure. Man, yeah. maybe you'll have to help help out Matt Gentry because he's he's building. You know, he he built throughout the summer, but you know, he, he might need a buddy on that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll, I can make a trip out there. I don't know. I I haven't been to Michigan in like since I was a kid, so. Oh I, yeah, I could what? use a trip out there. What I have brought no you over to Michigan as a kid. Um, so my dad was in the military, and okay, so we cool. moved we moved around a lot and seen uh, you know just have seen a lot of different areas. Um, Can I take a guess where you were? I sure. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Yes. Or oh, no. I was gonna say you're probably at Camp Grayling if it was if it was you know military because oh, there's there's so, just a giant military base in Grayling about 2 hours north of me right now. Yeah, there. I, so I think one. we we drove through and just saw a great lake and I don't even remember what <laughs> great lake it was. So I just know I was told it was great and I thought it smelled funny, so <laughs> Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you were you're when we're going, you're racing through all of those different things. You went from the concrete lifting, <laughs> and then you went to this this portion where you're working for a company, and then you're going to leave, and they give you an offer that you can't refuse. First of yep. all, what are you doing at that company, and what? how did you get to an offer that you can't refuse? Well, so this company, like I said, they do um, government accounting software. Okay. And so... They sell to cities all around the country, and we have a few resellers. And, um, anyways, I, I pretty much do support for the software. I also do training. Like tomorrow, we actually have a conference here in Salt Lake City, and I'm going to be teaching a utility management reporting class in front of, I think, probably 200 people. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's what they do. I used to be a client relationship manager with them, so I would travel and train and um you know get paid salary and you know when, when you go to school and you become an accountant you know they always say oh you know you just want to get a salary job so you can you know and you're making it at that point and you're going to be so rich and blah 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 well that's not really the truth from what i found i mean sure i got a salary job but that just means that they want you to work more yeah you know and and so when I came back, I said, hey, why don't you just pay me this much an hour? I'll just answer the phones. No responsibility. I'll, you know, I'll just knock calls out. And they said, great. And so I didn't have any of the, the responsibility of this client relationship manager, um, except for they want me to train. So I'm like, great. I love training. I like talking to people. I like helping people out. And so I'll do that. I just don't want to do any of the sales crap or any of the, you know, whiny customer stuff that kind of gets under your nerves like sure you know, i sure. don't like so and so da, da, da. so anyways so basically i have no responsibility i'm just taking phone calls just to get by in the winter so i started with them at the end of december and my plan was to work till march because around march i can start lifting okay and so it was like i started december 28th i don't remember why i remember that day but it was the second week of january they came back and said we want you to stay you're not leaving and I said, okay. <laughs> You're not leaving. Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. He Like, he was joking. I'm like, okay, well, give me an offer I can't refuse. And, like, 20 minutes later, he comes back. He said, you know, you told me to give you an offer I can't refuse. What would that be? And I'm like, I don't know. Just make, you know, 
show me the money, basically. Right. You know, I said, I said, you know, I make X amount of dollars lifting an hour. You know, I'll, I'll be candid. I make around a hundred dollars an hour when I lift. Okay. Like, and so somehow, some days I'll work sixteen hours and make two hundred bucks. Other days I'll wake, make, you know, work three hours and make four thousand dollars. And so, you know, that that's a very, like. I'm using my hand like you can see me, like wavy, <laughs> you know, wavy thing, right? right? right. So it's so it's a feast and famine for sure. Feast and famine for sure, right? So just like any other business owner, right? Um, but when I calculate all my like all my hours out, I'm around a hundred bucks an hour. And I told them that, and um, and and I guess what I didn't disclose is that, that doesn't really count. Like I wasn't actually working four eighty hours a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure, um, sure. But because some days, like I said, I'd work 16 hours and some days I work four hours and I'm done, you know. Right. And that's what I like about being a business owner. But anyways, long story. Um, so I so they basically came back and said, give me a number. And I said, I'm only going to do hourly and this is what I want an hour. Sure. Um, so long story short, I only work for them 32 hours a week and I make as much as I did when I was salary working 40 plus hours a week. Well, that, that just means that you were good at the ne negotiation and that you were worth it to them. So, I well, mean... and what, but what stinks though, is I told them the number and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. We'll do that. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> ah! dang it. I didn't, I didn't ask for enough. But oh man. I See, I've done that a couple times with knives where, especially when I was first getting into chef knives, and uh, I, I did a couple Damascus ones, and then I had customers reach out to me like, hey, how much for a Damascus chef knife? And I'd throw out, hey, about this number. And they'd tell, oh, yeah, sure, I'll pick one up. right? I'll, let me get on your books. And I'm like, oh, man, there is money left on the table there. And, and the, the worst comment is, oh, I thought it was going to be more. Right, right. <laughs> or I was willing to pay a lot more, you know. But um, here's the thing. You, you were logical about it. You figured out roughly what you would make if you did the – lifting and then yeah you you made you made a logical leap and you got what you wanted so i mean i feel like everyone's getting what they want in that situation yeah and really the only thing that sucks and to be honest is i just don't get days off you know um just because you know i work four days a week then friday and saturday i'm working for myself and sunday sunday is my day off um and that includes going to church and all that kind of fun stuff so right. and the things involved there but other than that, I'm pretty happy because it's like, you know, it's a good breakup because I, I know four days a week at this this um, accounting job, it's not horrible, you know, and it makes it so I'm not dreading it when I go in. The same thing with lifting. Like I was honestly, like I love lifting. I the OC, It satisfies an OCD in me, like making things perfectly level <laughs> and straight. Like there's something that just, you know, it just tickles it my fancy. Itch, right? Yeah. It scratches my itch and I love it. Uh, but I hate it when it goes wrong. Like I absolutely hate it if I can't get something straight. And sometimes I take those things to heart. I mean, it's like messing up a knife. Like when I broke my, like that Gentry custom knives challenge where I broke that Damascus knife. Oh yeah. I was so like, I was so upset. For, yeah. for for a week you know and it, it like wasn't the end of the world but i and i knew what i did wrong but at the same time it's just like i can't believe i did that and yeah. you know so 
the concrete lifting has a lot of that. And, and because of the unpredictability, I can't make everything perfect. And that wears on me, you know? And so mm. doing that every day was kind of wearing on me. Um, and, you know, I, I think I'm in the generation where GI Joe and all these different cartoons told me I can be whatever I want to be. Sure. And that's true. But at the same time, it made me want to do everything. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I've had a hard time. Like I, I have a degree in accounting. Guess who hates accounting? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Like kind of yeah. like you with teaching where it's like, yeah, this isn't for me. But I didn't realize that until after I'd got my degree and started working. And so I think, <laughs> I, I mean, I think I found my calling and that's training. I love training people. Um, and I could probably train anything, but I also love concrete lifting. Um, and so right now I'm living both worlds and uh, loving it. You know, I'm making enough money to support my family. And so that's really all that I care about, that and being happy. And, you know, I, I have been able to take a few days off. Like uh, I was able to go to Blade West. And Yeah. We got to dive into Blade West because I've been following you on Instagram and checking out your Blade West experience. It seems like you met a lot of really cool people. So tell us all about what Blade West was for you. Well, so it's a knife show. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was, it was a lot of fun, and I was so grateful that they came to Salt Lake because if it would have been in California, I probably wouldn't have gone. But where it was just down the road, um, like an, it took me about an hour to get there. Nice. Um, uh, so it wasn't bad. I was able to take my kid. So my kid is 15 and he makes knives too. Um, he's still learning, but he can forge better than I can, to be honest. Interesting. Uh, yeah. He loves making hooks and, and he does leaves and all that kind of stuff. He's more into the blacksmithing side where I'm more into the blade making, but he still makes knives, still designs knives. And we, we kind of collaborate. In fact, I'm, I'm making a short little, Skinner that he um, that he designed. So interesting, he, nice. He wanted me to grind it for him, so I'm doing. Well, that. you're talking about before that he is. He oh. seems like a natural hunter. I feel like he needs a skinning knife and a bowie knife and a hunt. Like yeah, he, he needs, needs all, all of those things. different knives, right? Yep, yep. So we'll uh, we'll make that. He wants to sell it though, so we'll see what happens. So ooh, good for him. Um, but anyway, so we we took him up there and. We got to meet all sorts of people. Like we met Will Stelter. We, we met um, Stephen Loris Warzer. We we got to meet Shane Carter, um, and see his. He won like three awards there. He won like right. best hunter, best fighter, and best Damascus. Or no, he didn't win best Damascus. He, I can't remember what he won. He won three different things. Um, the slacksmith was there, and he. He had one of the coolest knives I've seen um, where it was a takedown. I don't know if it was a kitchen or a Bowie knife, but he it, it Blade West, or not Blade West, Blade Magazine, I think, or one of the Blade Show Instagrams just posted it today. But it, he made this little hammer that you hit this pin in. And at first I didn't understand what it was. And so I kind of was like, well, that's weird. But it's basically a pin that goes into... Um, a little slot that holds the blade onto the handle. And so he made this little hammer that goes with it. Super Wait, cool. I think I saw this thing. It, it looked it looked like that pin would be really in an interesting spot if you went for a pinch grip, though. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think it would be great for a pinch grip. Um, and, and that's kind of what I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like, right. what, what, like, what does this, like, I'm like, why did you put this on it? What, what's purpose? And he's like, well, that's where you take it down. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it just kind of clicked in my head and was like, hey, that's genius, you know? And of course, sure. like probably more decorative than anything else, but it's still like, I held it. It feels solid. Like sure. I didn't like, you know, chop the table with it, but Anyways, he's a, he's a good, a good, um, he's a good maker. Um, he's going to be a really great maker soon. For sure. Um, For sure. How was it meeting the, the Shorzers? Um, you know what? They are the nicest people in the world. Yeah, for Uh, sure. You know, almost like family. They just treat you really well. And, uh, really Steve Schwarzer is one of the funniest guys I've been around in a while. He has a lot of good stories, and so it's mm-hmm. good to listen to him. And so I, I didn't get – I you know, I didn't really get to talk to him much there. But then that next Monday – so that was Friday and Saturday. On Monday, I took a class from him up at Shadow Mountain Forge, Lonnie's place. Um, we learned canister Damascus with the 3D printing. Nice. And so – Yeah, that that is such a mind-blowing process. That's really cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, he pretty much held my hand through the whole thing. Um, there was, I think five of us when we started or six of us. And, uh, on the last day there was only three of us cause people had to take flights home and stuff like that. So I got a lot of one-on-one time with Steve and a, a lot of talking time with Laura and she is the sweetest lady in the world and he's lucky mm-hmm. to have her. So, um, she's super cool. He's well, I mean, they're both super cool. And I was lucky enough to talk to the two of them at Blade Show at Blade Show Atlanta and like it what was really cool to me is like of course I was I've been a fan of him for a while and I knew all about him and I just walked up to him um with Neil Warren and Neil knows him a little bit and I think he knew Neil and so they were talking and then Neil went off somewhere and I just kind of spent about yeah maybe 5 minutes just talking to him and Laura and we just talked about like his days in Florida and like what he, what he did for a while and like he was just telling me stories and it was just like a oh my gosh this this guy he's he's just so down to earth and so like chill I'm, I was really impressed yeah he's super he's super fun and and what's good is he'll make fun of you you know like oh, yeah, mess, sure. like I messed a couple of things up and he just razzed me but in like a good way you know what I mean like just totally <laughs> with a Speaking smile on of- his face. Yep. Speaking of, he said, oh, you know, do you have a knife you made? And I, I, of course, I didn't fly down with a knife because I didn't do a check bag. So I said, no, I, I flew in and I didn't check a bag. And he said, you came to Blade Show when there's so many different knife makers here and you didn't bring a blade to, like, show off and, like, get get input on. It was just like, a, what are you doing? Come on now. <laughs> yeah. See, and oh, I, funny. I did the same thing, though. Everybody asked me if I had a knife. I'm like, no, I, I don't. Oh, <laughs> and part of it's like embarrassment. Like, I, uh, you know, I'm still learning. And so I, I'm still, I still have those weird flaws. Not weird flaws, but like flaws. Like I did a, a, a knife recently with uh, some uh, micarta, you know, from Ryan Chadbourne Knife Works. I think I said that right, Ryan Coakley. Yep, great guy. Coakley Doakley. Coakley um, um, <laughs> That's right. Yep. Um, so anyways, uh, his, his vintage micarta is amazing, and I love it. Um, slow. You got to go slow and sharp. 
Yes, um, yes. But sure. anyway, so I, I made some awesome scales with that. Uh, actually, it was Ironwood with um, Red G10 and his Vintage Micarta. And, you know, I still have, like, a little, flo like, some floater scales on it or the liner floated a little bit so blacks and you know black epoxy in the corners and you know just things like that that i know i i need to work on and i'm getting better at and luckily i think uh rainy day uh justin he sent me a couple of uh tips including mm -hmm. like a cool jig to use so i'm gonna implement that and you know i'm just trying to learn from my mistakes even though sometimes i make those same mistakes more than once <laughs> i feel like i'm a slow learner sometimes but Hey, maybe it's I'm just hard headed. Sure, sure. I mean, first of all, I mean, big props to Rainy Day Forge and Coakley Doakley. Both really great guys. I love how much they're willing to help whenever you need them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I saw that that diagonal liner on your Instagram where, yes, yeah, so you can see it's just a little bit of epoxy there. But I mean, come on. It's was that the first time you did one of those liners? No, I've done it. Uh, I've done it a couple times. Um Back in Christmas, I actually made a whole handle out of that vintage micarta and used, I think it was orange liners and a, a blue and white epoxy kind of filler. Sure. And yeah. uh, like, uh, not filler, but like a, you know, a, the a inlay piece of type. handle. Yeah, an inlay. Right. And so I've done it a couple times. I, I've tried, you know, diagonal and straight across. Diagonal ones are specifically harder because. You know, they're it's just hard to get it. Lined yeah, they're up so right. they're so hard to clamp together so that it's tight because you 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 try to do it on the flats and like the the diagonal makes it want to slide more and it's it's just a pain. Yeah. Well, and that's where uh, Justin's tip came in. He showed me kind of like this ninety degree like an L that he just puts parchment paper down, pushes everything against that ninety. Okay. Like, you know, L L in wood and then clamps it. Interesting. And then it doesn't want to go anywhere. So hey, there you go. So we'll try that the next time I do it. Um, and it's always getting better. Oh, that was the other thing about Blade West I loved was all the handle material. Yeah. I think I I <laughs> I bought probably uh, I don't know I bought a bunch of scales from uh, G L Hansen so uh, oh, nice. G, the G Carta you know. Um, stuff. Yeah, so I went and, like the first day I bought a bunch, went home, went back the next day and bought like five, like five more blocks because it's so cool. Like I love it. Um, there was also a guy there selling ironwood for like ten bucks a block. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so I bought a few blocks of that and uh, yeah, why I ended not? up I bought a knife from uh, JD Custom Knives Jordan. He's out nice. of Texas. He's more into the bushcraft stuff. But he still he had this knife that I wanted, and uh, I I thought about buying it. But it, part of like me trying to buy a knife, like I want to support people. But my wife is like, "You make knives. How about you go make the knife?" You know what I mean? But mom, but I, it's it's not quite the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but oh. he had one knife that was just amazing. And in fact, this guy was coming up to him. While I was sitting there, and I'm like, oh, that knife's so beautiful, Jordan. I, I'm so tempted to buy it. And this guy comes up. He he makes knives for some other company. He has this folder. He's like, hey, I'll trade you for this. Okay. And I was like, no, I, you know, I got it for sale. I got it for sale. And the guy's like, okay, well, how about I'll give you 250 cash? 
It's like, no, dude, like the, the price is firm. This is small business. You know, you, right. you need to be supporting small business. Don't try to heckle me down. And I thought that was so cool that he kind of, you know, stood up for small business. We need to, everybody needs to be a little bit more supportive that way, I think. But Yeah, and also like, hey, I know what I put into this. I didn't price this. I, very few people like put on a crazy high price expecting to like come down like you do with, with barter. Yeah, so so many people go into those knife shows expecting to be able to hack, you know, heckle people down and like haggle down to, you know, whatever they want to or feel like they need to get a deal on something. Like, come on, what are you doing here? Yeah, well, and and I ended up buying one of Jordan's little cheeker knives I gave to my wife. It's it's kind of a cool little neck knife that he makes. Um, nice, but you know there there was. And that was the other interesting thing, you know, go, talking about pricing and things like that. There was a lot of makers there that had really good stuff that was priced what I felt was kind of a little cheap, you know. Yeah. Um, and they still had a lot of stuff on on Saturday, like towards the end of the day. And yeah. I, I kind of feel like it's because they had it marked so cheap. But then you got the other guys that like, oh, this is a 15 hundred dollar knife and you're like my kid my, my 16 year old or 15 year old he made a knife that looks way better than that you know and, see and so it's like it's weird there's a delicate balance there especially with pricing where it's like you know if you if you put up a knife for too cheap then people think oh well you know it's it's only that it can't be that great but then you take that same knife and put a much higher price point on it not crazy astronomical like you said like 1500 for you know some some you know whatever work um you know if you put on a reasonable price not not a cheap price but whatever it seems like people imagine that there's more value more work went into it or whatever it's just it's weird how the mind works with that type of stuff yeah well and i was listening to uh i think it was noah vashon on uh the the knife talk this week because um Mareko and craig were out so it was right, jeff right. noah and uh fingal and that was a good show but anyway it was a great show they were talking about pricing and he said like with 1500 knives comes 1500 problems and that 15 <laughs> that's you true. know a, a 1500 knife should actually be a 1500 knife right yeah. and so Sometimes I think that, like, I saw this little skinning knife that guy had. He was selling it for 75 bucks, And I was surprised it was still on his table. But I think it was on his table because it said 75 bucks. And so if he would have put it up to maybe 130 or 150 I you know, I kind of have that feeling it could have been sold. Because it was a really nice knife. Had a nice wood handle, figured, you know, mono steel. But... It still was just a nice knife. I should have bought it. That's really what it comes down to. Why didn't I buy it if I thought it was a good deal? You know what I mean? That's very um, true. That's very true. And you know, I had the same thing when I've when I've been to a couple shows. I've I've been down now to two different shows where I was selling, and they weren't knife shows. So you know, the pricing had to come down a little bit just because people aren't there for knives. But um, basically, I had these little nano cleavers. And I had one that was all the way down to 75 bucks. And it was like, a, you know, the blade of it was literally an inch long. Like, this thing was tiny, tiny, tiny. Oh, I saw that. That was cute. 
Yeah, for sure. And that was the thing is everybody who came by, first the the head turner was the the sword and that's what stopped people and like, oh my gosh, look at how cool that is. And then the next thing people saw, and it's all the way on the other side of the table, it wasn't the next knife they saw, but the next thing they said was, oh my God, look at how cute that little thing. It's only 75 bucks. I'm like, yeah, it's only 75 bucks. I'm surprised it's still here. Ha ha ha. But yeah, it's it still sat there all day. It was crazy. Yeah, well... Another thing that Knife talked, and I think it might have been Jeff brought up, um, was the fact that you can have too many things on your table. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. And and I had that in mind when I went to Blade West. And I totally think that's a thing. Because if somebody had, like, a ton of things on their table, you can't, like, focus on one thing. Mm. Right? It was the people, like... Like, um, Niels Vandenberg, one of the coolest guys I met, um, he had three knives on his table. And everybody got to, like, they had all been sold, right? Because probably everything he makes, people buy. Right. But it was easy to look at those three knives, have a conversation with him about them, and be done. You know what I mean? Where there was a guy who had a bunch of amazing knives but it was like overload. I, you know, I looked at, I tried to look at each one and talk about them, but you know, when there's 40 knives on the table, like which one do you choose to talk about or look at, or, you know, not that I'm trying to soak up his time and talk to him every time, but you know, I I just think that that information overload or, or, you know, I don't know what you call it, but I think that's a real thing. Yeah. Do you know who did a really good job at Atlanta? Who? It was it was bald man knife and tool Brent Smith. He had yeah. he had a couple really cool like shelvings that shelves that looked like his logo, and mm-hmm. they each held a couple knives, and then he had a couple knives on the table, and like you know the thicker clippers were over here, and they're the quarter inch thick, and that was the whole selling point is that they're beefy and they're they're weighty and they're badass, and then on one side is the regular clippers, and like. The thicker clippers, there is a couple colors. There's, it's you know, one one or two blade shapes, and they're all, it's all a couple different colors. And then there, there's the regular clippers, and it's the same blade shapes, and it's a couple different colors. And then there's the head turners that were sitting down on the table, where it's like a big chopper type thing, and a couple you know crazy designs and whatnot. So like you can have a conversation about the thicker clipper, you can have a conversation about the little the regular clipper. And then you can have a conversation about the the big crazy chopper or this crazy thing, but like it wasn't like you know there's there's there were probably about twenty five knives on his table, but it was one style, it was another style, and then it was crazy stuff in the middle. So like it wasn't you know okay there's there's thirty some knives on the table and they're all different. So it's like you know what do I stop and look at when you have people you know waiting behind you to also look at the table. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's a way to go with it because he also had stuff in boxes underneath where when one sold, like let's say a thicker clipper, you know, in red sold. Okay, let's go down the box. Let's pull out the next thicker clipper. Okay, this one's going to be, you know, yellow. Let's put that up on the table. And like, you know, See, it, it wasn't... I, I think that's the way to go. I think that's yeah. the way to go. I don't know. It is. It's smart. Yeah. And I, I think Jeff said exactly that. Like once one sells, you put the next one on because it... It almost creates, like, if you have less on your table, in my mind it says, oh, he must have sold a bunch already because this guy has 30 knives on his table. This guy has 10. 
Oh, that's true. You, you know what I mean? And so, I don't know. Maybe it, it creates a little demand because, you know, if I have, if he has 10 thick clippers out and, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I know I'll get one because he's not going to sell 10 in the next 10 minutes. But if he has two, then it's like, right, oh, I right. better buy that if right. I want it. I don't yeah, know. It's kind of interesting. It is interesting. It's it's a it's a whole different aspect that you have to think about for sure. So let's go ahead. You know, we've we've talked about other people's knives a lot. I feel like we need to talk about one of your knives. I've been seeing on your Instagram this crazy Damascus dagger. What's going on with that thing? Oh man, that is a that's that's my failure. Um, actually, you know what it was? Your sword was so beautiful for the fantasy challenge. I gave up. Oh, come on. Not really. No, hey, uh, so not to veer off my dagger, but your sword and your video were both amazing. Thank you. I very Um, much appreciate that. And I'm excited to hear who wins. But um, (laughs) Uh, just this this doesn't come out for another month. So this will be old news at by the time that it it, this comes out live. But uh, it looks like in the in the voting from the people, I'm not doing so hot. Really? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. You know, I'm. I also didn't really go crazy hard. I should have marketed it a lot def- more, and I had a couple things in the background that kind of prevented me from marketing it. I don't really want to go mm-hmm. into it. You know, I, I can't actually mm-hmm. can't talk about it that much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I know that's cryptic. I'm sorry for even no, bringing it good. up, but uh, yeah, I'm. I was. I'm. You know, it is what it is. I, I I enjoyed making the sword, and it sold, and we made an awesome video, and I'm happy. Well, I'm, ex- I'm excited that you you uh, sold it. Yeah. Um, so anyways, my dagger. My dagger was actually my fantasy challenge. And so what I mixed up the dates. I thought I had until the 15th, but it was oh. the 13th. Oh, and no. That's my, that's my anniversary. And oh, so no. my wife and I went out of town, and I thought I was going to have the rest of the time to, to, to finish it. But then when I realized it, I just kind of stopped, right? Um, and so then I finished it this week because I'm, I'm hoping to sell it. I think I might actually have it sold. Nice. But the, the whole premise of it is it – do you like Star Wars? Are you a nerd like me? Oh, yeah, of I'm course. A nerd. Okay, yeah. so you know Darth Vader's Star Destroyer. It's called the Executor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that knife was going to be the executor. <gasps> and so that makes so much so, more with the shaping on it. Yeah. So, so just so you guys, if you haven't seen it, you can go see it on my Instagram, but it kind of looks like a Cinquidea or Cinquidea. I think it was what it's called. Like a three, like a five finger sword. Like if you watched that force and fire show, they've done that a couple times. So it was kind of like with that in mind, you know, a triangle shape, Looks the same as a Star Destroyer. I left a forged section on it, which was supposed to be kind of like the inside of the executor ship, like the bridge sure. and things like sure. that. Um, and then I, I made it out of layered metal. Like I, I layered the metal myself, made Damascus. Oh, I didn't ice. realize that you made that low layered yeah. Damascus. Yeah, wow. so it's just, yeah, so it's just, it's just a low layer. Um, I think there's 16 or 18. Um, layers and so it's just 1084 and 15 and 20 so i made it myself no there's no pattern to it i just wanted you know just straight up i hey i'm a big fan of good. low layer thick lines right so i think i i think i nailed it 
Um, Low and thick. That sounds just about the way to be. Short, fat, and happy. That's that's the way. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, So, anyways, um, that's what it is. But I I got the the tip a little hot, Mm, Um, and so I was throwing it up against my chicken coop uh, because it kind of looks like a kunai knife too, like very very simple. And so I was chucking it and sticking it in. And I like hit it, and it flung and hit the concrete and bent the tip. Oh, and man. so I was like, "Well, it doesn't matter anymore. It's not the executor." So I reprofiled the tip. Now it's like thick and beefy and robust, but it can still, like, if you drop it from you know a couple feet, it sticks right into the floor. Um, and like when I drop it on concrete, it hasn't chipped. So hey, there you go. It's a uh, it's must it's have been pretty... a good heat treat on that then. Yeah, you know what it was. I I screwed it up when I was grinding it. Like I said, I got that tip a little too hot, and so the next day I ordered um, Brian's misting system. So that's Game coming. Changer. Should Absolute be here this changer. weekend. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see. We'll hopefully because that's been like one of my other struggles is probably being a little too aggressive on the grinder on a heat treated knife and burning an edge and getting mad and throwing it across the room. Well, you know, you're just testing it for being a throwing knife. You were, (laughs) it wasn't an angry throw. It was a testing throw. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. Testing. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, just to pivot just a little bit, I sent you over some carbon fiber. Have you had a chance to play with that at all? I haven't. Um, So so I got it the day we left town. Um, And so it it was sitting in my car for a bit. I've been admiring it. I'm super excited. You you sent me the X-Forge with the green speckles Mm -hmm. in it, which is very beautiful. And also the cross weave with the, I guess it's brass or copper color to it, that pigment. So... So the cross weave one, that is a little, that's probably not going to go into production. Um, not a big fan with how that one turned out because there's the, so it is X forge in the center. So it's kind of a different layered throughout. And we've tested this with a couple different ones where, um, basically the, there's the regular, like what you normally see in carbon fiber, where it's that, that weaved carbon fiber. Um, so there's, there's a layer of that and then there's X forge in the center. So that marbled shredded carbon fiber in the center. And then there's another layer of the weaved on the bottom. And then there's this, um, mica powder throughout. So it's, this one happens to be brass or gold or whatever you want to call it. Um, so what I've found is that by the time you put that on a handle and you start grinding that handle, all of that, that weaved portion gets ground away. So... I don't think that that is. I think we're just gonna stick to the X Forge because also the the shredded X Forge. I mean that just holds the mica powder and it, it gets better layering and you get to put more mica powder into it and it's just like, you know that's what the people are here for anyways. Yeah, well it I, they're both cool. I like them and I and I'm gonna end up using that brass one. Um, I I'm actually gonna put it on a folder. So oh, I'm going to do a, fric- a friction folder, like, you know, kind of Jeff Fader style friction folder. I need to buy his print, by the way. His his art's amazing. I, I like it. He, I'm a big For fan. Sure. If you can't tell, I'm a big Fader fan. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I'm going to do his 
his folder and I'm going to have brass kind of like you made that brass folder a while ago. So it's going to yeah, look like yeah. that, but I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to inlay that carbon in there without grinding it. Like I'll grind Whoa. the edges, but, but I want to have it. I'm going to have to play around with it. I might skeletonize the brass and then stick it where the skeletonization goes. But interesting. Then but that we'll see what a happens. Really interesting one. We'll, we'll we'll see. It's it's kind of like that's my thoughts right now. Like I'm looking at the piece of brass that I have. It's just sitting here, and actually the carbon fibers on top of it. It's right next to the coyote I was able to put into a bar of metal, which was cool. <laughs> what? Oh, right, right. With the. Uh... <laughs> I was, <laughs> this is how goofy I am. I was thinking you hunted a, a coyote and put it into a bar of steel, which is the dumbest well, thing hey, ever. That's, hey, that's you, what you my mind jumped transfer to. The obviously. <laughs> Don't you know, you just take a chunk of the tail and you put it on a burning bar and it transfers the spirit over. See, the Roadrunner <laughs> just got him so good that he turned into the steel. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, that goodness. actually would be a good... 3d print i'm gonna do that sure i need to buy sure. a 3d printer now like okay so knife making i love this hobby why is it so i i got out of golf because golf is too damn expensive well so here's the thing it's expensive up front but as you make knives and once you get to the point where you stop buying tools it starts to pay for itself but you're always gonna buy tools yeah, well tools you know cool. i haven't it, I don't know. I feel like you'll get to a point where it's like, okay, I, I got what I have and I'm good with it. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Someday. I mean, I still need to get a surface grinder or a surface grinding attachment. I still need to get a heat treating oven. I mm, still need, yep. I still need lots of things. Well, we'll always need, but do you really need it or do you want it? Uh, everything. I need, yes. I need <laughs> it. I need it. Well, it's like a heat treating oven. I, I'm not ever going to get into stainless in, until I get one. Yeah, um, that's my big push as well. Like the, the ability to do stainless and like be able to be like, hey, it's not something that'll rust. You don't have to worry about rust on your blade. You know, you can be a little bit more careless with it. People, people yeah. love that shit. Yeah. Well, and maybe I go the route like you've done with with uh, having it outsourced. You know, your mid tech is what you call it. Um, I think that's a, that was really smart by you. Well, the first one sold like hotcakes. The second ones didn't sell at all. <laughs> you didn't sell any of them? Well, I sold a couple. I've been kind of doing onesie twosies, but it just wasn't like, it was funny that the first ones they sold out in like 48, 48 hours. And then I got a batch of 10 more of the chef knives and 10 of the EDC threes. And like I, I kind of promoted them, and then they didn't really go anywhere. And it's just like, oh, okay. Is well. it the chef knives or the EDC threes? Both. Both. Well, I mean, yeah. both of them didn't sell. Correct. I mean, huh. as people have been like talking to me about wanting a chef knife or wanting an EDC three, I've started giving that as an option, and sometimes they'll go towards it. But mm -hmm. you know, it's it's just kind of funny to me that it, like I I really like sold like crazy, and then it. It boomed and then it busted. Is is huh. bizarre. Yeah, that's interesting. See that? Yeah, and I wonder if that's because you're labeling it as mid tech, or yeah. the price points so much lower. I don't know. It's I don't know. I so don't know. it would be interesting just to put one out there, and double the price and see if somebody just picks it up. 
See, here's the thing is I would feel like an asshole if I did that because yeah. I'm not putting well, the work test. into it. Well, I don't <laughs> see there, the whole no. idea of it is to get a knife for drastically less and have it be stainless and be easier to deal with and this yeah. and that. And, you know, the, the turnaround time is going to be a lot quicker on it. And, but yeah. the problem is, is that, yeah, you, you run into that same issue as we were talking about before is the lower price. Oh, well, it must be lower quality. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why I want you to test it. I just want to, that's for my own like knowledge or our, our own knowledge. I'm just interested to see what would happen. How about this, Brigham? I will, let's do a collaboration. Let's go ahead and I'll send one over to you and then mm-hmm. you will do the handle and then we'll get a sheath made for it. Dep- depends on if we do an EDC three or a chef knife, I'll have you mm-hmm. do the handle and then we'll, let's go ahead and do like either a raffle or something like that and see see how it works. That would be cool. I'm down, I'm totally down. Dude, Let's we're do announcing it, it here. Get... We're we're going to. It's going to be a month between when I, you know, when we're recording this and when we post it. Let's do this thing, man. Yeah, I'm down. I I got the perfect handle for it. I think I got. I was lucky enough to get a flying shark handle. Yo. And it's nice. it's this awesome blue, like a turquoise blue with some micarta on it and some regular I'll, I'll shoot you over some pictures in fact, see what i thought you were gonna say is i just got this really cool green sparkle <laughs> x-forge <laughs> oh yeah i could do that too no I no no, no. That but <laughs> that just we'll see i'm funny. gonna send this to you you know i love technology i can send you a text while we're talking yeah sure sure we can do that but yeah so um <laughs> I know we're about an hour in, and normally these interviews are about an hour. But here's the thing. I want to go back into your history and talk about what got you into into making in general. So was there, like, way back in the old Brigham days, when you're just knee-high to a grasshopper, was there, like, a making project that just turned on your maker switch? Um, Damn, I'm still knee-high to a grasshopper. Um, (laughs) Okay, come on now. But, uh... You know, no, no, there wasn't. I, I mean, I've, I've dreamt of making knives. Um, my grandma, I know this is going to sound weird. My grandma was kind of the, the maker that I knew. And so she would make me like swords and stuff like that when I Wait, visited her. Wait, hold on. My what? grandmother. Yep. Yep. My grandma. Make swords. My, yeah. Well, and we're talking like, like swords, like wood swords. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, and so she, she was kind of more of a maker than anybody. My, my old man, he's in the, he was in the military. Um, when he got out of the military, he was a nurse and then he got some weird disease that made him go blind. Um, not all the way blind, but like to the point where he couldn't drive, can barely see the TV. Um, so he didn't like make anything right. Like, like if the car was broke, he paid to fix it or, you know, if he wanted a shelf made, he called somebody to build it. And so I never had anybody, unless it was like a friend's, a friend's dad or something that would be like, hey, let's make something. And so, um, you know, coming like with that also, I never learned how to work. I know that sounds dumb, but, you know, I would mow the lawn and that's about it. Right. Okay. Um, just because I, I feel like I didn't have a, like my dad's a good guy, don't get me wrong, but 
he just wasn't a worker. You know, he, he was a nurse, so I couldn't go to work with him and learn working skills. Sure, and so sure. it's kind of something I've had to learn. And, you know, owning your own business pushes you that way, right? Or, you know, even working for other people. But it took me a long time to figure out, like, you know, you have to put in effort and you have to want to do a good job. And so I kind of got into making because I wanted to show my kids that I could do things that were hard, you know, mm. and, and not just knife making, but like, I fix my own cars most of the time, or at least mm. I attempt to. And sometimes I go back to the mechanic with my tail in between my legs because I really screwed something up. But uh -huh. hey, at least I tried. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and so, yeah, to, to answer your question again, no, I like, I can't remember a specific thing that I ever made as a kid. I always wanted to make knives and I always loved knives. Like that's always been a love. You know, I played with G.I. Joe toys that had knives. Um, I would look at some weird catalog called U.S. Calvary. Uh, my, my grandpa was a, owned a pawn shop in Florida. Or not a pawn shop, but a, um, oh, I don't know what it's called. A um, swap meet. Like they did a swap meet. Oh, thing. okay. Um, and so he owned a store there, um, like at the swap meet. But, interesting, interesting. Yeah, it was really cool. So if if making wasn't something that you got into until you were older, what was the first thing that you made as, as an adult that got you into making? Was it a knife or was it something totally different? You know, I think it was first start with, like, doing things to finish a basement or to make, okay. like, little, little repairs. Okay. And then eventually started into making knives. Um, like forged in fire, you know, of course helped a lot of people out. Sure. I mean, it's, it's kind of the forged in fire generation. People got into it. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so, you know, I made a rasp knife that I still have. It's just kind of, you know, just around. It's not finished, but it's still in my toolbox. And then my kid and I, a few years ago, went and took a class from a local smith who started doing classes. Um, and so we just made a basic hunting knife there. Um, nice. And then I said, you know, I kind of, I knew all the things that he taught us, but it's just a little different when you actually have an anvil and a hammer, you know. And so the next thing I did was got a railroad tie and um you know a, a harbor freight hammer and started actually making things and at first it was using a file and then graduated to that four by 36 craftsman piece of crap and <laughs> you know and and now i i've, I've built brian's revolution and right I, so i guess i need to go back a little bit i was a machinist for a while not a machinist a, a cnc operator gotcha. so you know i would run some manual lathes and mills but most of it was cnc machining so i kind of started making things there too not knife related but just you know you learn how to measure things you learn what's good what's bad how to treat metal all that kind of fun stuff so i i had done that before um i i got laid off from doing that and i had earned my accounting degree while i worked as a cnc operator 
Um, and so it was like years before I became an accountant. In fact, I was a machinist um, like, or a CNC operator full time while I was a, um, well, I did an internship full time. And so I'd go during wow. the day, do, do my internship, work eight hours, then turn right around and work 10 hours at the CNC shop at night. And wow. Slept a couple hours a day. That was a hard time in life. I gained like 40 or 80 pounds, something crazy. Sure. Um, but, you know, after going back into accounting, and I think how a lot of people feel that have a desk job, um, it, desk, desk jobs are not fulfilling. Mm. Like, like when you're just looking at numbers and stuff all day, it's not like making something. It's not like taking a piece of concrete, lifting it up, making it perfect and somebody happy. You know, it's just, here's your taxes. <laughs> you know, and maybe maybe if you save somebody money, they liked it. Right, you know, right. You get a little, you know, thanks. But half the time I didn't even see them ever. You know? Right. And so. And I feel like. I feel like this is a perfect callback to the very beginning where you're talking about how, you know, you're doing this accounting job where you're not really fulfilled behind it. And then you go and you go into doing raising concrete. And you're also able to make some pretty badass knives every once in a while. And you, you just kind of have found this nice natural balance between, you know, doing work that you have learned to do. And, and you know, it, there's got to be a part of you that enjoys the accounting. Oh yeah. Well, and like I said, I love the training side and I love the helping people. Like I, I am a, I'm a people person. Like I like, sure. and that's probably why, you know, you, I don't know if I actually am the glue of the community. I just try, I'm, I'm trying to be a good community member because I like people as much as I hate people when I'm driving. I love individuals. I love talking to people. Um, I like trying to make people better while I make myself better because that's part of that's part of the human experience, and I think we forget that. Like, other people are part of our experience, and so if I can make their experience good, then hopefully that makes my experience good. Man, I know you don't necessarily like it, but I'm still gonna tag you with the moniker of Brigham Kendall the glue of the knife-making community. Brigham, I just want to thank you again for sitting down for this interview. I truly enjoyed it. Why don't you go ahead and tell the people where pe where they can find you? You can find me on Instagram at Brigham Kindell. I know it's hard to spell, but it's B-R-I-G-H-A-M-K-I-N-D-E-L-L. -L at Yeah, on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, follow me there or friend me. Uh, I'm here to, to hang out and have fun. Man, short, fat, and happy, that's the way to live, and I appreciate you for living your best life, man. Everybody, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your working week. I'm Brian Cohn. Go check out my buddy Brigham Kendall. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week, guys. See you later. <laughs>